This is the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today. And may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. It's so easy to point blame on this person to that person. It's so easy to exonerate yourself of any fault or any wrongdoing. But men, it is our responsibility to save our communities. It is our responsibility to save our families. It is our responsibility to save our churches. Now, I thank God for strong women. I thank them so much I married one. I love us many men. See, y'all, a little disclaimer. Um, when I preach, it's not always a fun sermon. And so I'm of the opinion that it's more important to share the word of God than to make you feel good about yourself. So every now and then, uh, you may get a little uncomfortable. Just pray it away, and the Lord will fill you in your spirit, and we'll move on. But it's our responsibility, men, as priests of the home, as priests of the communities, as priests of our churches, to take the lead on rebuilding our communities, rebuilding our families. The book of Ephesians, chapter 5, 22, verses 29, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body and himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit yourselves in everything to your husband. Now we love this, and this is usually where we stop. Wives, yeah, you got to submit. Kneel, bend down yourself to me because I'm the husband, I'm the man, and I deserve it because I'm a man. But the Bible doesn't stop there. It's husbands, love your wives. As Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. You see, that love there is not, it's not an emotional kind of love. It's a sacrificing kind of love. It's a love that means no matter what's going on, I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. My preferences come later. Your preferences come first. But for some strange reason, we as men in the last few years, we've got it confused and we've got it twisted. We somehow think it's all about us. I told y'all this wasn't going to be a we somehow think just because we're men, what we say goes, what we want has to come to pass. But the truth is, my brothers, you've got to earn that. You've got to deserve that. A strong woman will happily submit to a strong man. Not a man who tries to make her submit. Not a man who tries to teach her respect. But a man who can lead her to salvation. I'm going to keep reading. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Brother, we got to know the word. We've got to be in the word. We've got to lead out in family devotion. We've got to take the time. We've got to make it to church. It's our responsibility. You complain about your wife not respecting you, not giving you your due. Brothers, have you earned it? Do you lead your family in worship? Do you lead your wife to something? We spend time after time. We get our paychecks, and we all listen. Payday was yesterday for many. We get all excited, and the first thing we think to do, we pay the bills, and then we figure out, what can I do for me? I'm trying to reserve that special little bit for myself. But as a man, I've got to make sure that whatever I have, it's available to my family if they need. I can remember my grandfather, and this used to blow my mind. So we would sit at the table, and I'm at my grandparents' house for the summer, and my grandmother would fix my grandfather's plate first, sit at the table. He'd sit down, but he wouldn't eat. He'd just sit there. Then my grandmother would get everybody else together, and we would all fix our plates, and we would all sit down, and he wouldn't begin eating until everyone else started eating. And I, just, I didn't even make sense to me. Like, Grandpa, why do you do that? He said, because I've got to make sure you have what you need first. 
So if something happened and there wasn't enough food, and he knows there's enough food. My grandma, she don't cook for a few people. She cooked for everybody. And so he knows there's enough food, but symbolically, he had to let his family know that if there were something to happen and you didn't have what you needed, I have enough for you. But all too often, the first people to rush to the food is who? The brothers. We get in there, we tear it down, too. Two, three plates. Some of these poor women sitting back there starving and hungry. You should have got yours. Elbows up. That's not a man. And I know you work hard, and I know you out there, out there in the hot sun and, and doing this and doing that. I understand that. But with much power comes much responsibility. That's just a part of the job. That's just being a man. You have some good women here who appreciate you. They showed you just a token of that today. But the truth is, being a man means being able to do what you need to do and not be appreciated for it. And not being patted on the back. Being able to stick to it no matter what, even though nobody's going to even realize all that you do. That's what being a man is. You see, we're, we're raising now a generation of younger men. And if we don't come correct, what do you think they're going to do? We do a lot of complaining. We complain about guys in skinny jeans. We complain about guys dressing this way and looking that way, about homosexuality on the rise. There's all these things we complain about, yet we don't want to look into the mirror to see where this came from. You see, because if you're not here to lead a young man, he's never going to grow up to be what he needs to be. If he doesn't see the good example in you, then he doesn't have a good example to follow. So, brothers, today I'm going straight biblical. I'm going to first attack this idea of reconciliation because that is our number one responsibility right now. We've got to reconcile our families. We've got to reconcile our families. We've got to reach out. And even if your family's doing okay, but you have a neighbor or you have a sister or a cousin or, or a mother or, or a daughter whose family is not okay, it still falls on you to reconcile that family as the priest. And, of course, I've got biblical examples to back all this up. Finishing up the test, so that he might present, to the, present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever halted his own flesh, or I'm sorry, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished it and cherished it, just as Christ does, the, just as we must, our wives. You see, the reason I have to go in on the wives today is because the very first step to being a good father is that connection you make with the mother of your children. You see, we think, oh, it's all about the kids, and the truth is, yeah, it is all about the kids. My wife knows she comes from my house. She's my number one priority because I know if I take care of her, guess what she's gonna do? She, you sure right? You please believe it. She's gonna take care of those children. You see, now if I'm taking care of myself and she's taking care of the kids, who's taking care of her? I've gotta make her my number one, my primary. So today we're gonna talk about that. Before we get there, another beautiful example of this is found in the book of Hosea. Now, Hosea is a crazy book because that man was obedient. I don't know if I would have been that obedient. You know, God told me to go get a prostitute. I might have to say, no, <laughs> sorry, Lord, I just can't do that. I'm going to be honest. But Hosea, he, he was obedient, so he did. Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom. By forsaking the Lord. So he went into Gomer, the daughter of Diablame, however he says, and she conceived and bore him a son. She bore him a son. And one would think that after she bore him the son, that would be it. But is that it? No. The story continues. She leaves and she does what she does. And that, for me, was enough. I said, okay, well, Lord, I did what you asked me to do. Now I'm going to do what I need to do and put this woman away. I'm going to divorce her because I can't bring that into my home. That's not okay. 
What did God say do? And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man as an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Fellas, I'm saying all this to say that no matter what you think your wife or your woman or the mother of your children is doing wrong, it is still your responsibility to seek her out and to reconcile. It's your job. It's not her job. This is biblical. Get mad at me all you want to. Get mad at God. I'm reading it straight from Scripture. It is your responsibility to stand up and say, you know what? This wasn't right. I had my fault. You had your fault. But now it's time to bring it together. Now it's time to put away the foolishness. Now it's time to reconcile. This became so overwhelmingly obvious to me recently. Um, I'm the director of a nonprofit now, and I have about 35 employees. Out of my 35 employees, 34 of them are women. Out of the 34 that are women, 33 are single women most of which are mothers, some are even grandmothers now. And as I've been working, it's been painfully clear to me that the majority of these women have no priests. And so I had to make a decision. Am I going to defer this responsibility to whoever, or am I going to take the responsibility and be the priest of these homes? So I have my wife and my children and my family that I got to manage and I got to deal with, but now I have an adopted 33 other households that I have to priest, that I have to father, that I have to lead to salvation. Man, it's so much deeper than you and what you want and what you have and what you're doing. Because we were given this responsibility by the Messiah. And so we have to do whatever it is we're doing to the very best of our ability. All that you do, whether it is you eat or you drink, you do to the glory of God. And so, my friends, it's time to lead our community to the glory of God. It's time to lead our homes to the glory of God. It's time to lead our families to the glory of God. It's time to lead our churches to the glory of God. Of God. So today I'm going to try to educate you just a little bit on leading a strong woman. How to lead a strong woman. Number one, the first thing you want to do is lead her through empowerment. You got to be trustworthy. Be someone she can trust. Be honest. Be dependable. Be forthright and not deceitful. When you know this is going to be a conversation you have to have, don't try to hide it. Go on out, be a man, and have the conversation. Be somebody who she can feel secure with. Not who she's always going to have to second-guess herself, or even worse, second-guess you. Be that rock in the home. Number two, education. Inform her. Keep her in the loop. You give her information that she's going to need to make the best decisions possible. After all, she is raising your children. Give her whatever it is that she needs to raise them effectively and efficiently. I have a big problem, and my biggest problem is... I prefer, for me, like, Bible study is a very private time. Like, I like it. I like to do it alone. I don't like any, I don't like people around. I don't like talking. I don't like any of that. And so it's really hard for me. And so as I got married, that's something I struggle with because I go in my little office or in the room, and I'll study, and I'll study, and I'll, I'll get rich. I'll study till 3, 4 in the morning. And I'm like, oh, having all these developments, and I ain't even said the word to my wife. It's my job to lead her. Amen? I got to bring her in on that. Amen? And so, brothers, you got to understand that if you're not teaching your wife, if you're not informing her, if you're not guiding her and leading her, someone else will. And I'm not even referring to infidelity because that'll happen too. But what I'm referring to is influence. So if you're not there to lead your families, somebody else is going to lead your family. The television will lead your families. The employer will lead your families. You've got to step up and be that man. That means you've got to study, though. That means you've got to be informed, though. You've got to be what they call a lifetime learner. Always learning, always seeking more knowledge, always pushing yourself so that you can impart that knowledge onto your family. Next, preparation. As you're giving this information, as you're sharing this information, you're going to put her in a position 
where she can prepare whatever she needs to prepare for. Equip her. If it's finances that she needs, make that happen. Sometimes it's not finances. Sometimes it's emotional preparation. Sometimes the preparation is simply you get off work at 4, she gets off work at 6, start cleaning the house. Y'all don't like that one? No, they don't like that. Preparing the kids' dinner, giving the kids baths. You're their father too. <laughs> Amen? There's an equal partnership. Shared responsibility. She doesn't have to do it on her own. If I'm off work and if I can do it, hey, let's get this together. Oh, babe, you got to work extra well, you know what? I'll do our daughter's hair. It's not going to look quite as nice as it does when you do it, but I'm going to do my best. Thank you for that, because it's a struggle. We'll go out, and that girl look crazy, and I, just, I, I tried. But we've got to do it. Next, affirmation. Affirm her. You, affir you affirm her through encouragement. You must build her up. Often we look to point out the weaknesses in each other. That ever happened? You in a conversation with your, with your spouse or your, or your spouse-to-be or somebody you're dating, and for some strange reason, you, you feel the need to point out their inadequacies, their weaknesses. You want to keep that. They know what's wrong with them. It's not necessary for me to tell my wife constantly the issues I have with her. She heard me the first time. It's unnecessary. Instead, what I can start doing is building her up, encouraging her, giving her strategies on improvement so that those areas that were weak can become strong. Empathy. You can try to understand her pain. Now, this is something I struggle with bad because there are so many parts of being a woman that just don't make sense to me. Um, I don't get it. It don't make, you know, there's the whole childbirth thing, which is a lot, uh, which I'll never fully understand. But even outside of that, like just on a monthly basis, there's some stuff that goes on that it, I, don't, I don't understand. I can't fathom what you're going through. So what I need to do is recognize that there's some stuff going on that I maybe don't get, but I got to be patient. I gotta be patient. Not just patient, but I've gotta be proactive. So my wife and I have been um, married for what, eight years now? For eight years, over eight years, there's some I should've learned some stuff about her. I should've learned some, noticed some trends that on them every month for eight years, there's something that's gonna happen. What can I do to help with this process? I know now that after eight years, there are things that when, 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 when something happens with the kids, she's gonna respond in a certain way. So I can step up and kind of be proactive in that situation. Beat it to the punch, if you will. Now this is gonna take a little bit of work on our part. This is gonna take us to stop just looking at our lives and ourselves and to really investigate our spouses and our mates. Like, what makes you happy? What makes you sad? What makes you afraid? I've gotta know that so that I can manage these situations so that you're not in crisis. It is our responsibility, men, to keep our wives and our women, our mothers, our daughters, our sisters, to keep them out of crisis. The Lord bless me with broad shoulders. I can bear that burden. You don't have to. I hear a lot of amens from the women. You notice that? I don't hear, I don't hear nothing from the guy. That's all right, though. The spirit speaking men are side the strong, silent type. The spirit speaking to them anyhow. Next, we're going to look at activation. You activate your woman by inspiring her first. You must be someone she looks at with admiration. You've got to be diligent. You've got to be hardworking. You've got to be sacrificing. You've got to be intuitive, strong, brave, wise. She will only follow someone who she trusts and admires. A woman's not going to submit herself to you if she feels she's more on her game than you are. In fact, you need to submit yourself to her. You got to be honest. When my wife and I first got married, you know, my wife is really smart, and I did that on purpose. I needed someone who was smarter than me to raise my kids. Uh, you know, it was, it was a strategy. 
wife is really smart, you know what I mean? And so when we first got married, there was a bit of a struggle because I'm thinking, well, I need to be in charge of the bills and the money and all that stuff. But she's like, yeah, but I think I'm better at that. And I'm like, well, I don't care if you're better than that. I need, it's my job, I'm the man, oh, right? So she's like, okay, you go ahead. And I did it and it didn't work out that good. So I was like, well, I have an idea. How about you do it for now? And so she did it for a while. But what began to happen is that as she's working on my wife, like I said, she's smart, she has a great job, but because she has such a great job, it is very demanding. So as her job is being demanding, some of the bills and stuff, she's like, oh, this is, you know, having to deal with this and manage this, I need some help. So it's like, oh, now I come back in the scene. So what did I have to do? I have to see, isn't, so she says, I need some help. So I say, now I'm the type of person I hate. I hate when you ask me to do something and then tell me how to do it. I don't like that at all. I'm just either not gonna do it or I'm gonna do it my way. It's just, it's all or nothing. And so. She said, I need some help. So I said, okay, but you got to leave me alone. Just let me do it. I've grown a lot in the however many years it's been since I messed up first time. So I began to take on this responsibility. And every now and then I make a mistake or whatever, but she was cool about it. But I still began to notice something around Bill's time. She would get anxious. My wife gets anxious. She start her, her hair itches. That's like her little tail. Oh, that was a secret? I didn't know that was, I'm sorry. But that's like, you know, how we all have little ang you know, her, that was her little thing. She starts, ah, uh, like, I'm like, what's wrong with you? You need to wash your hair? Is that it? No, it's me. Like, she's anxious because she don't know if I'm going to mess this up or not, right? And so it's like, Lord have mercy, I'm going to make this girl pull her hair out because she don't know if I'm going to do what I need to do. So what I begin to start doing is going on YouTube in the cloak of darkness in the middle of the night and learning about, like, finances. Like, looking up videos on people doing finance. Like, oh, that's what you do with it? Oh, okay. We're trying to plan our future, and she don't know, and I don't know, but she's asking me, and I'm like, oh, this is not something I enjoy studying. I'm more of a people guy, not so much of a finance guy. Until I'm responsible for a family, now i got to be a finance guy. So I had to learn about finances, make some investments, learn the ropes. Whoa, this is cool. Now I've noticed she begins to trust me. She now asks me, hey, baby, so what do you think we should do regarding this and regarding that? When we're planning for our future, when I say, oh, let's look at this instead of a protest, I go, okay, that's a good idea. And she begins to, to gain interest in these subjects because I was able, by the grace of God, to lead her. But I didn't just wake up one morning and say, hey, follow me, let's go. It took work. I had to get, the Holy Spirit had to show me my inadequacies and then teach me how to overcome them so that I could lead my wife. Commercial. I'm saying all this, please don't think that I've got it all figured out. Like, I just thought like, oh, this could sound like I'm really like, we, we're done, yeah, we're good. No, I'm still learning. Every day I'm learning. Every single day I'm learning. But as I'm learning, I got to share it. I got to share it. So uh, next. All right, so after inspiration, she, when you can inspire your wife or the women, not even just your wife, but the women in your life, what you're doing, you're taking their attention away from the thing that will degrade them and that will bring them down. Now, it's no secret that people who know me know that I am not a fan of the, uh, like the whole kind of reality TV, Kardashian type, uh, that kind of thing. I don't like that. I feel like it's poison, in all honesty, right? So, amen, I heard him on that one. <laughs> but in all honesty, if I'm not able to, to, to inspire my wife and to activate her, I'm just as guilty as whatever show it is she's watching. Yeah, that sounds impossible, right? How can I take her attention away from that? The funny thing is, half of y'all, when y'all was dating, you had no problem doing it. You do tricks and flips and the cartwheel, whatever you had to do to keep that woman's attention. But now after 20, 30 years, she'll be all right. You watch your show, she watch hers. We, don't, we tend not to invest in each other anymore. So if you begin to invest a little more into your wife, into the mother of your children, you'll start to see that she takes that investment and she internalizes that. And that plants a seed within her, and it sparks something within her. 
That's what she wants. She wants that investment. Let's move on. From inspiration, we're going to move to facilitation. Be a provider. Now, this is a tough one because now we're in 2016. My wife makes more money than I do. And half of y'all are probably the same situation. So how can I provide for somebody who's doing better than I am? Like, well, I don't understand, Lord. What you mean be a provider? Well, sometimes it takes more than just money to provide. Sometimes she don't need money. Sometimes she needs time. Time, attention, compassion, help. Get in there. Roll up your sleeves. I call it gloving up. Whatever you got to do, get ready to do it. How are you at home? Your wife does all the housework. You got a son and a daughter. You're raising the daughter to be a slave and the son to be a tyrant. It's the truth. Brothers and sisters, you've got to shape up. To my women, you can't allow this. Now I'm getting, it's getting real uncomfortable. But you've got to stand up and say, I can't allow my daughter or my son to be raised at home where this type of behavior is accepted, where I'm viewed as less than. Now, I've been a part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church my whole life, and I feel that if I'm a part of a group or an organization, if I pay my tithe and offering, if I do all the, I work for the church, I've done it all, that gives me the right to talk about the church when it's needed. You may like it, you may not. But the truth is, this organization, like many Christian organizations, is one of the most misogynistic organizations in modern society. Besides, misogynistic means we don't value women very highly. You can get mad at me, but it's all around. You look in churches, you look in conference offices, you look everywhere, and you're going to see the same thing. And so we wonder, why are our children not lining up in churches, and why our children aren't where we think they should be? Because they're seeing an inconsistency in Scripture, and they're seeing an inconsistency in our churches. You want me to love, and you want me to respect everybody, but yet and still churches don't treat everybody with love and with respect? Brothers and sisters, you've got to take an inventory of what you really believe and what you're really about. Because if you're really about Christ, then my friends, you need to be like Christ. I just set a new goal for myself today. If, no, I'm not even going to go there. I'll tell my wife in the car. Um, humility. Our next step is to lead our wives and our families through sacrifice. First step to that is, is through humility. Uh, being right without needing the recognition for being right. Contrary to popular belief, women are only right about 50% of the time. All right, now you ask them, ask my wife, it's 97, 98%. But in reality, it's about 50%, all right? In my home, maybe even 38, 39. We're not going to tell her. I still got to go, yeah. <laughs> so on those rare occasions, man, when we are right about something, we don't need to lord it over her. Oh, well, she does it to me. That's irrelevant right now. We're not, it's not Mother's Day. We're dealing with, we dealing with the men right now. If we want to be good leaders in our homes and good fathers to our children, good husbands to our wives, then you don't have to lord over your victories. Because the truth is, once you guys are on the same team, she's going to celebrate your victory. She's going to appreciate when you had the right idea and not be so defensive. It's not necessary to tell her how wrong she is because the truth is, guys, we hate it too. You don't have to remind me. I know I'm wrong. Like, you don't have to tell me that. And so she would feel the exact same way. Next is compromise. Compromise breeds cooperation, not competition. In the home, competition isn't healthy. When I'm competing against my wife for the affection or for the love of my children, that's not a good situation. That eventually is going to lead to some bad stuff. When I'm in the home competing with my wife for this and for that, that's not good because competition breeds contention, discomfort. So we've got to be on the level of cooperation. We've got to be together. We've got to be on the same page. That means I give a little, you give a little. Now, the problem is it always seems like I'm giving more than you, right? That always seems to be the issue. 
But the beautiful thing about Jesus is when you have him in your relationship, he tends to even that on out. He tends to buffer that. So even when you feel like you're giving more, he'll support you so it doesn't hurt so much. Next, aside from compromise, there's servant leadership. Change starts with the leader, the head of the home. Men, we want to be the head of these homes. We want to be the priest. Well, it's time to lead then, and, and, and it's time to make the changes in ourselves before we tell our families. You ever heard of the phrase, um, do as I say, not as I do? It's foolishness. That's ridiculousness. My parents said it to me. My grandparents said it to them. I refuse to say it to my kids, though, because the truth is you're not going to do as I say and not as I do. You're going to do exactly what I do. And so as a husband, as a father, as a man, I have got to be more visible than verbal. My actions have to depict or express what I believe. So men, we claim to be Christians. We've got to be Christians. That means treat our families like Christ would treat them. Amen? Another key element of servant leadership is putting the needs of a relationship first. Now, this goes contrary to modern psychology even. Because modern psychology and counseling, they're going to tell you, put your needs what? First. Put your needs first. But the truth is, by the time you meet all your needs, there's not going to be a lot left for that relationship. So what you need to do, you feed the relationship first. The relationship begins to grow and mature and blossoms fruit. And guess what those fruit do? They feed you. You understand what I'm saying? You pour into the relationship, the relationship gives back to you. Now, this is the selfless model. This is the Christ-driven model. Modern psychology, modern counseling will tell you the selfish model, the model that focuses intrinsically, the focus on you. But if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, you don't want to focus on you because that's the complete opposition to what the gospel stands for. Let's move on. And lastly, forgiveness. Forgive before it's asked. Make up in your mind to forgive her before she even asks for it. Because the truth is, as much as you're willing to forgive, that's as much forgiveness as you're going to receive. That's how grace works. You know the story. There's the king, right? And he loans the guy like tons of money, like we'll say $10 million. And the guy's like, oh, thanks, king. Appreciate it. He blows the money, loses it, whatever. He can't return it. He can't pay the money back to the king. The king says, hey, man, where's my money? He says, oh, king, I'm so sorry. I don't have the money. Oh, no, I don't know what to do. The king says, man, you know what? Instead of sending you to jail forever or killing you, I'm going to forgive your debt. The guy says, oh, thank you so much, king. You're amazing. I needed that so much. Oh, I appreciate it. And he runs off, right? On his way out, though, he passes by another guy who he loaned money to. And he didn't loan this guy millions of dollars. He loaned this guy like $30, $40. He's walking by. He says, hey, oh, hey. Don't you? Where's my money? He's like, oh, hey, man, listen, uh, I, man, I, I, I got paid, but some stuff happened, and I'm short. Can I pay you next month? He's like, no, nah, you can't pay me next month. You owe me this now. And he takes him to court. The king hears about this. Now his debt is called back. As much as you're willing to forgive, as much, as, we, as much grace as you're willing to have, brothers and sisters, that's the grace you're going to get. Again, don't get mad at me. It's the word. It's in there. This ain't stories I'm just making up. Y'all heard about this before. When you're in the wrong, fellas, Ask for forgiveness first. There's been times when I'm sitting, me and my wife got in a little argument, a little tiff, and I'm sitting there and I'm angry. Oh, it's her fault and she did this and she did that and it's, she's the reason we're in this situation. And I get mad at God. This woman, you've, I'm sounding like Adam. This woman you've given me, Lord. But then he reminds me gently. He says, John, but here's where you messed up. Like, don't worry about her. I'll take care of her. Let's work on you. Guys, this has blown my mind. After I started doing this, my whole relationship started changing. When I stopped focusing on the stuff she was doing wrong in the situations and I start focusing on my own error, like nine times out of ten, once the Holy Spirit ministers to me and we resolve my issue, by the time I get to her to tell her what her issue is, she's already 
been resolved. We come together apologizing. I was like, man, Lord, how did that happen? It's amazing. Worry about yourself. Another biblical principle. Remember the whole speck and plank? Remember Jesus saying that? Don't worry about the little speck in her eye when you got big old planks and logs in yours. Get that taken care of first. It'll feel better. Moving on. And this tit for tat. She did this, so I'm going to do this. He said this, so I'm going to do this. Constantly going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, chipping away at the foundation of our love and our respect for each other. I don't know what your relationship is like with your parents, but if my parent were to respond to me the way I respond to them as growing up as a child, there is no way I respect them now as an adult. There were some things my parents just rose above. If I say, Mommy, I'm so loud, everybody, can I have candy? Oh, I hate you. Now, she would respond, <laughs> but not with a, I hate you. Usually her response was disciplinary. <laughs> but she didn't respond to me the way I acted toward her because then I wouldn't respect her. So then if we're following that same principle, why then, husbands, would your wives respond to you with respect if everything she does, you do? Wives, that goes the same way. We have such egos and such pride that we always have to outdo each other. Well, she didn't talk to me for breakfast, so I'm not going to talk to her the whole day. Well, he didn't talk to me the whole day, so I'm not going to talk to him the whole week. And then it goes on and on and on and on, and soon enough, somebody's signing divorce papers. You've got to understand, the only way to overcome a lot of the situations we're in is to build community. But you can't build a community without a family. You can't have a family without cohesion between man and woman. And Christ is that cohesion. He pulls it together. He connects. He makes, when you get on my nerves, he makes it okay. When I get on your nerves, he makes it okay. It's because of Christ we can deal with each other. So we, in all our religiosity, claim to be Christians, yet we don't have the patience to be like Christ with each other. Brothers and sisters, we've got to stand up in righteousness. And righteousness doesn't mean being angry or hating others. We, some, we see some of this religiosity with our righteousness right now. Uh, what's the group? Westboro Baptist Church, is that their name? They're here in Orlando, right, being crazy. If you're a sympathizer, you're crazy too. I don't, they're crazy. Not only are they crazy, but they're blasphemers. Because they're trying to misrepresent the very God that we serve. But we're guilty of the very same things when we come home yelling and fussing and cussing, impatient and angry and upset. The Bible says husbands are to be like Christ is to the church. Husbands are to be that to their families, loving and kind and forgiving, long-suffering, compassionate. That's the role that we take men. As a tyrannical ruler who's bent on everybody bowing to my every whim, that's not manhood. That's being a bully. And bullies are only bullies because they're weak. So men, if you want to be strong, then it's time to lead a strong family. It's time to lead a strong wife. And I know women are strong, dealing with the stuff they got to deal with. But men, it's now time for us to take our, our birthright as priests and as leaders of our homes and our communities, but doing it the right way, doing it through Christ. It's late, so I'm going to end on this. I mean, I guess it's late. I don't know. Y'all church starts weird. It's, I, I'm, I'm still kind of off. I don't know what time it is. I don't know anything. I feel like, I'm, I don't know, it's strange. It's like jet lag. I've jet lag for church. I don't understand that. Romans chapter 5, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. You read on and it goes on to my favorite part. In verse 19 it says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. 
So by the obedience of one, many shall be made righteous. So fathers, men, you are the heads of your home. It is by your obedience to God, your families can be made whole. God will reward your faithfulness. He will strengthen your wives and he will minister to your children and he will rebuild your families. But you must take that first step. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father, I thank you for the men. I thank you for the power that you've given us. I thank you for the strength you've blessed us with. Now I pray, oh God, that you send us your spirit so that we utilize this power to lift up a community that serves you, that we lift up families to serve you. Help us, oh God, to be long-suffering and patient. Help us to be selfless just as you were for us. Keep us connected to you. Keep us connected to our women. We love you, God. In your holy name we pray.